Welcome to Reading the Game, the podcast where baseball fans discuss the baseball books they love. And I'm really excited to be back after a, quite a good hiatus of about six months. We decided to down tools over the autumn and winter because I was expecting the birth of my daughter. She's now arrived. She arrived in December. Her name is Bonnie. So um, I'm really pleased that she's with us. And Phil and I have decided that we're ready to come back out of hibernation and to start talking about baseball books again. So uh, that's what we're doing. We're delighted this episode to be talking about uh, Baseball in Europe, which is by Josh Chetwind. And it's the second edition of a book that he published a few years ago. I think in 2007, the first edition came out. And Josh Chetwind will be familiar to lots of British baseball fans as the presenter of Channel 5's baseball coverage for a number of years. Uh, joining me to talk about the book this episode is, of course, co-host Phil. Hi, Phil. Hi, Steve. Good to be back. And also, I'm really delighted to welcome Philip Vorfel, who is the editor of the website MrBaseball.com, which specializes in European baseball, and also currently working for the German Baseball Federation. Hi, Philip. Hi. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. So uh, before we discuss the book, Philip, why don't you give us a bit of an, an overview of, about yourself and, and what your relationship is with the sport of baseball? Yeah, uh, I'm uh, working from uh, Germany. Uh, as uh, Steve already mentioned, I'm uh, working for the German uh, Baseball Federation, uh, doing uh, like a league director, managing all the top leagues and uh, youth uh, tournaments, as well as public relations. Uh, Mr. Baseball, I'm doing it since 2007, uh, researching and uh, looking for uh, news, uh, usually on a daily basis, and uh, publishing uh, as much as we can. But well, that's that's basically my background, how I get into baseball in Europe. And am I right that you know Josh Chetwind because he's been producing the European baseball's top 50 clubs um, for a number of years. Yes, is that correct? yes. he's doing it uh, a couple, I think since 2008. So I'm in contact with him for a long time. I think we also uh, promoted some some other books from him, uh, which he did between the two editions of Baseball in Europe. I already spoke to Josh. I spoke to Josh last week and um, we talked about his book and why don't we have a go and listen to that now and we'll come back together afterwards and have a discussion about what we think about the books. Hi Josh, how's it going? Uh, it's going great Steve, thanks so much for having me on. No, thank you very much for agreeing to talk about the book. I'm really excited to talk about the book and um, I'm going to kick off first of all by asking you really to, to, um, to tell us a little bit about when you realized that the history of baseball in Europe was something you wanted to research and write about and maybe a bit about how you came to write the book. So this sort of goes back to how I got involved with European baseball in the first place. And that brings me back to 1995. Uh, and I was working as a journalist and was on the internet doing research on something else. And I stumbled upon the British Baseball Federation's website. Uh, they were thankfully early adopters to uh, the internet and web-related matters. And I had been born in London and had played baseball in the US at uh, the Division I college level and in the independent minor leagues for, for a brief spell. And I was at the point where I was sort of ready to give up baseball, but I saw that they had a national team. And so I, I wrote uh, Kevin McAdam, who at the time was the vice president, and said, look, I, you know, here's my background. And uh, ended up, we got in conversation. We had some mutual contacts. I ended up playing for the Great Britain national team in 1996 and then played for uh, the team over five European championships over the course of 10 years. So fast forward now to 2005. And I had worked for Major League Baseball in their London office. So I had more of a relationship with a number of, of European countries that were playing baseball and the people who were involved with it. Uh, and in 2005, I was approached by a guy named Brian Belton, who had written a lot about uh, West Ham and just sport in the West Ham area, uh, uh, you know, racetrack, uh, dog track, uh, huge fanatical writer on um, the Irons, on, uh, you know, West Ham football, West Ham United. And he approached me about doing a book on uh baseball in West Ham because there had been a professional team in uh, the 1930s. And I was actually very familiar with that team, familiar with the league that had occurred then. 
but I was a little hesitant to do a book. I was actually in law school at the time um, doing my, my JD. But I was like, look, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll try and find time in between. And the two of us worked together. We put together a book called uh, British Baseball and the West Ham Club. So I then had the confidence to, to write more and write other books. I graduated law school, came back to England. I started working on the Channel 5 baseball show again and was looking for a project to do when I had a little bit of time on the side. And European baseball was just interesting to me, not only because I had been involved with it, but because so few people who were involved with it in various countries knew about their own history at that point. I would go to uh, someone who was the president of the Swiss Baseball Federation and ask them about their history, and they would just sort of shrug. And so I sort of felt like someone needed to step in and kind of start filling the holes a little bit for all these countries. And I ended up covering, I think, uh, 40 in the first book, 41 in the second. And so I, I went to where they had the uh, CEB, the Confederation of European Baseball sort of archives. They were relatively small, but it was useful. I tried to interview as many people as I could, and I put together the first edition, and that came out in uh, 2008. And then what, so you mentioned there that, um, that you'd, you'd meet people who had very little understanding or very little knowledge of where their baseball origins were. How, how, how much did that represent a challenge for you in terms of researching what you needed to get? To, to, to produce the book? Yeah, it was a tremendous challenge. And I think for the first edition, uh, it left it, I wouldn't say thin, but thinner than it could have been. I relied a lot on primary sources. So I've spent a lot of time at libraries uh, trying to find, uh, getting people to translate it. I don't speak uh, Spanish or French or Dutch, uh, three very key languages or German. Uh, four very key languages. So, uh, you know, I had to bring in people to help me translate a lot of stuff, find materials that dated back into the 19th century, and really, for the most part, rely on that other than a small portion at the end of each chapter where I was talking about the modern day sport in, in these various locations. Uh, it, it was it was challenging. It was definitely challenging at the time. And which, which country's origin story did you find most interesting? Because a lot of countries, a lot of countries, um, came to baseball from, or certainly their baseball grew from that kind of post-war um, American influence. But which country's baseball origin story did you find the most interesting when you were doing your research? I mean, they were all interesting. What I tried to do, and I ended up after that writing a number of books, I've written seven books total now. Uh, this That was the last of sort of my hardcore baseball books and I wrote about a number of other subjects. But what I've always tried to do in my books is to use whatever topic I am writing on to discuss sort of broader issues that are going on in the world at the time or, uh, or currently. And so the two that sort of stood out from that standpoint, I mean, Italy and Holland had very detailed histories. They were relatively easy to get materials on. The two that interested me the most were Germany, because so much of their baseball history stems from right after World War II. And what was so interesting were how Americans tried to inculcate democratic values into the German population using baseball as a tool. And I found that really fascinating. I found a really interesting story about a, a youth team in Berlin and how they were sort of created and uh, all the cultural elements uh, that were German and how the Americans who were running the team were trying to sort of affect the way they approached both baseball and life in general. And then the other one that I really enjoyed doing was Croatia, because I talked a lot about the, the tensions in, in Croatia and, and Serbia uh, during the period where baseball really started to, to come up in the 90s. And I had one person, uh, Jimmy Summers, who was a huge star in Croatian baseball history, who sort of served as the end for that. The second edition, I was able to get a lot of history about Split and the history of baseball there, because it actually really predated it. But for this first edition, I didn't really have that. And that that particular chapter sort of speaks to the difference between the original book and what I could do in the second edition. I mean, that, I'm really glad you mentioned Croatia, because for me, that was so compelling to hear about, um, you know, somebody involved in, in baseball in Croatia and going, you know, being given a tip off that there was going to be a bomb and, you know, cowing down in their in their in their flat overnight and you know not sure if they were going to surface in the morning and then thinking crikey there's no way training is going to be on you know everybody everybody's just going to be sheltering going and just seeing a full house at training the next day everybody there is just how baseball kind of helped people to transcend the difficulties that they're facing in their lives at the time and kind of provide a little bit of stability and what was such an unstable and unsettling period for people that that for me was a really really nice and interesting uh what sort of heartwarming story um, and like you said, 
there's there's a there's a few examples of where baseball's been used as a a way of of trying to I don't know create sort of social cohesion or, or to, to spread values. Were there any other kind of tidbits that you found really interesting um, in the book? I don't know any sort of any stories you want to share. I, by the time I got to uh, writing Baseball in Europe, that first edition, I knew so much about British baseball history. But to me, that was always the one that was nearest and dearest to my heart and, and really deeply fascinating. I mean, very few people knew, of course, I mean, probably people in British baseball now know this, that Great Britain is the, the country that is uh, considered the first ever world champion. Uh, I actually have up on my wall a uh, the test match. It was called a test match, England versus America from uh, 1938. It's the uh, program from the first test match that I have framed up on my wall. Um, and so, you know, that history was very compelling to me. Uh, the history of professional baseball, both in the 1890s and then again in the 1930s, uh, there was just such an effort and the tension in Great Britain between the, the big sports that are inherently British, cricket, football, rugby, and then baseball trying to sort of encroach during different periods uh, was very fascinating to me. I think that if there was any country that had a great tension other than uh, Russia and the Soviet Union during that period uh, of, of communism where baseball was being pushed out and there were the, the Russians, the, the Soviets were trying to sort of suggest that baseball actually came from one of their sports. But other than that, I think that really British baseball had a real huge hurdle at a number of points uh, trying to fight with sort of uh, cultural norms within their country. And do you still think that there's an extent to which Britain struggles, uh, British baseball struggles with that in the, in the 21st century? I think less so now. I mean, I think with NFL coming in and really creating a beachhead for itself, I think that there's a greater opening for sports that are outside the main sports. I mean, Cricket still has, obviously, a, a real base to it. It is so British, inherently British. But I don't think it has the strength it had, say, in the you know the 50s, certainly at the start of the 20th century. Uh, and I, so I think that there is more room, uh, more openness uh, to baseball. I think there are other issues that, that British baseball deals with. But I think that one's a little less uh, of, of one pushing against it than it had been in the past. And move, moving away just specifically from British baseball, talking a bit more about European baseball, I mean, where would you say, relative to its history, um, the health of European baseball is right now in terms of perhaps finding parity with other major baseball nations? Uh, historically, the two countries that have the, the greatest strength in baseball in Europe, of course, are Italy and Holland. And I think both those countries have been in stasis, if not sort of dropped off a little bit. Both of them have great infrastructure. Both of them have leagues that are probably the best, if you know, still even today. I think the countries, though, where we're seeing greater growth are the Czech Republic and Germany. Germany really saw a great growth at the start of the 21st century. I wouldn't say it's leveled off, um, but I think that its growth is not at such a high curve as it was previously. The Czech Republic, to me, is the one country where I could really see it continuing to grow. They've really invested in infrastructure. Uh, hockey's huge there, but I don't think they have that same sort of uh, this is our sport type. I think they're much more open minded. I remember uh, I played there uh, in a European championship in uh, 2005 in Vaclav Havel at the time. It was very supportive of baseball when you get the top of your country sort of speaking out and saying, hey, we're into the sport. It's always a positive thing. So I would put those two countries at the top. I think there's a lot of uh, sort of Eastern European countries that also could continue to get better. They need to grow an in infrastructure. Um, another country where baseball has definitely shown a great improvement over the last couple of decades is Austria. It's interesting because they're both country or all countries really that you mentioned that don't really have a lot of, um, a lot of, um, presence from overseas born players be representing them in international tournaments. You know, where, where do you stand on that? Cause, um, the the eligibility eligibility criteria sorry for overseas born players representing european countries are pretty lax and do you think that helps or hinders growth and development for the game in europe i mean this is i mean the elephant in the room the $64,000 question however you want to phrase it that all of these countries have dealt with from day one. I'm telling you, going back 
into the you know the 1800s. This is something that has always been waned. I mean, it was a huge. It led to a fist fight on the field in Germany at one point uh, that I talk about in the book. It's uh, you know whether to what extent you want to bring in Americans or Canadians, and what is the right formula to have these people who are more experienced to help elevate the level of your sport without overwhelming the level of your sport. And it's one that I don't have a great answer to. It's interesting because Great Britain's a lot different from other countries. And in most other uh, European countries, they put a limit on the number of foreigners you can have playing in your domestic league in a given game. Great Britain at its top level is much more open about it. Um, it's interesting because obviously Great Britain on a national, on an international level, uh, they've relied a lot on people like myself. I mean, I was really uh, one of the first two players who sort of fall into that category where I had a British passport. I was born in England. I didn't learn my baseball in the UK. I came over in 1996 with one other player named Pete Arthur. The rest of the team were all British born, raised, uh, and learned their baseball in Great Britain. And I, I watched from 1996 to my last years in 2005, 2006, where uh, increasingly we would have players from outside of Great Britain come in it led to, in 2007, Great Britain winning a silver medal at the Euros, thanks in a large part to Bran Oost, who was a AAA player, um, who had actually played for Team USA in, in his younger years, and, and Mike Nikias, who ended up playing in the major leagues. So it's really hard because you're, you're, you're searching for that brass ring, which is winning on the international level, but you want your local players to get better. Again, I, I don't know what the answer to it is other than it has to be some sort of mix of both. You have to be eyeing both winning internationally because there's a feeling that that will help elevate the sport in terms of stature domestically while still finding a way to grow the sport grassroots and, and have local players get better. And do you think it would be helpful for, um, for, for baseball to legislate for that? Or do you think it's best left to individual countries and depending on where they are in their own development and growth cycle? I, I think that you definitely need to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. I think that you just want to encourage the people who are running baseball in these various countries to always keep an eye on not necessarily just winning, but developing the sport. And it, it has worked in some countries. Italy is a great example. So they, for their national team through the 70s, the 80s, they would bring on a lot of Italian-Americans. They would do really well there, but the sport developed domestically to where you had tons of players who were getting very good at it. The, the player who signed for the largest ever uh, amateur uh, contract with a major league team, who's an amateur who signed uh, with uh, the Kansas City Royals, was Martin Gasparini. He was an Italian shortstop from Altura. I mean, learned all his baseball there, went to the Italian Academy. He didn't make it to the major leagues, but it shows that the level of talent can be developed in these countries. Absolutely. I know you see it with Max Kepler now as well, who uh, seemingly came from nowhere to um, to a massive multi-million dollar contract in the last couple of years. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's heartening. Certainly looks like it's possible for Europeans to achieve in the major leagues. And uh, speaking of MLB, like, what do you think um, European baseball has to do to improve and how can MLB support that development, in your opinion? I mean, I, I believe, I look at the NFL and I look at the amount of time and effort uh, that they put in, and they were a lost leader for a very long time in Europe, where they lost tons of money to make sure that the sport eventually got to the level it, it's gotten to. And I would hope that Major League Baseball at some point would elevate their efforts. And I think they have in certain ways, right? I mean, the London series was a perfect example. Uh, there were some grassroots efforts put along with that. Uh, I know that they intend, uh, we'll see what happens. Obviously the world is in such a strange place right now, but the hope is that they'll sort of branch out to other European countries, do something similarly, and that it will start to grow, that they will find reason to come back to Europe on a more regular basis. So yes, I think more can be done. I think Major League Baseball is moving in the right direction, but I do think that their involvement is very important and for no other reason uh, than the financial support. When you look at baseball in countries that have had success in Europe, all of them have had some sort of strong financial support at some point to build infrastructure, which is a huge part of it, and to give the sport a sense that it's serious and real in the country and not being played on a cow pasture in the middle of nowhere. I looked at, uh, when I was doing the second edition of my book, I put in a picture of a baseball field in Lithuania, which was one of the better fields, 
And it was, it was a cow pasture. I mean, it was unbelievable to look at this field and see people are playing baseball on it. They've actually had a player make it all the way to the major leagues, uh, Neveroskis, who pitched for the Pirates the last couple of years. But in order for that country to get better, they're going to need fields. And it's true with every country. It's, uh, it's a total, uh, you know, cliche now. If you build it, they will come. It, it really is true, though. Okay, brilliant. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the London series because obviously you did the commentary of Darren Fletcher last year with to much acclaim, and unfortunately they're not going to be held this summer. But um, we we remain, you know, we wait to see what happens with that uh, into 2021. Um, do you see London as the ideal host city, or do you think that it might be more beneficial to hold games, say for example, in Holland or in Germany or in Italy, or do you think that it's something that might be you know cycled around in a, in, in a best case scenario? I think long-term it will be cycled around. I think London was a great starting place for more logistical reasons, uh, not necessarily, you know, London stadium being the best. Or there's a, a venue that was built specifically for this sort of event in Holland and Hoofdorf that would have been a more ideal venue, but London, you know, it, it was uh, British population. It was a good sort of segue for great Brit or excuse me, for major league baseball to, to get, to get baseball going in a location in Europe. It was kind of that in between spot rather than going directly into a country, maybe that doesn't speak English. Um, you know, obviously particularly, you know, wealthy country. I think that there was a lot of sort of built in fan interest, if not plain interest. Uh, so I think it was a very good starting point. I hope that they will do the second series perhaps uh, next year between the Cubs and the Cardinals. But I do think over time, it makes sense to go to different countries, whether it's Holland or France uh, or Italy. The value of this is trying to give a really good, strong, quick boost to various countries in Europe in terms of their baseball profile. And so I think that the more they move around to different countries and then have multiple versions of these series where you have it in, in multiple countries would be ideal. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that sounds fantastic. It, it, an ideal case would be just to have more baseball in Europe, you know, more, more accessible for fans like us who, um, who love coming and see the games. I mean, I wanted to talk about your involvement in those games because I was actually at both games, so I didn't see the broadcast for either, but I've seen them both back and, um it was it was really really well done i was really impressed um Thanks. i thought you and darren had a really nice chemistry chemistry and i think that you did a really good job you acquitted yourself really well and it was nice afterwards to see on social media trending um little clips that had been put out that was so so well received by people all over the world so congrats on that speaking from your point of view was it strange coming back and um going straight back into the commentary box because it's slightly different role to one that you did certainly on channel five and how how was it for you coming back and, and, and getting back to it? Well, well, I had experience working in the commentary box. I worked with Simon Brotherton, and I think we did four World Series together, and I did the the summarizing for that, the the color commentary. So I had experience doing it. I had experience doing it with, with a British broadcaster. So I understood sort of that fine line that you have to toe in my role, uh, which they reinforced to me, which is, not being too sophisticated, but being sophisticated enough. And that's always hard to do. Explaining what a sacrifice fly is may feel uncomfortable for real fans, but you realize you have to do a little bit of that along with explaining pitch progressions for, you know, a left-hander throwing against a right-hander and how you may want to set up a batter. So uh, that was my job. I mean, what really helped Aaron Fletcher was just brilliant in his role. Uh, and this is not, I'm not giving anything away because I know he said this publicly, which is that uh, he was pretty, pretty apprehensive, not about doing it, but about how it was going to turn out because he had had no experience doing this sort of work. And uh, he, I think he certainly surpassed his expectations. I thought he was amazing. And I thought he really made the broadcast. I, I was lucky to be along with him uh, just to sort of help out where it was necessary. Uh, but I thought he brought a really interesting take to it and, and did a great job. But I also thought that Simon Brotherton, I know those broadcasts weren't as high profile when we did the BBC, uh, BBC Radio 5 Live was excellent too. So I do think that there are broadcasters out there in the UK who are British broadcasters who are actually excellent at this. Yeah, I had a really good interview with Darren Fletcher, I think on Batflips and Nerds a couple of weeks ago that I heard, which was, which was really lovely. So if you haven't heard that, you should, everyone should check that out. Um, when you came back to the UK, I mean, we're sort of, finishing up now sort of some finishing off questions but what 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 do you miss most about living in the UK I know you're no longer involved very directly in baseball with, with your new role um, that you're doing over there in Denver but I mean you're obviously 
is there things you miss about working in baseball and other things about that you miss about working in the UK? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes and yes. I mean, my wife and I talk all the time. We want to move back. Um, the job I had on Channel 5 was the greatest job I've ever had and probably ever will have uh, for a combination of reasons. Obviously, you're on TV talking about baseball, which is a ton of fun. But primarily, the people I worked with were just amazing. Uh, Johnny Gould, Eric Jansen, David Langell, that whole team. Uh, there was just a camaraderie and esprit de corps. We all loved baseball. We loved hanging out together. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I miss that job a tremendous amount. I, I do miss being involved with British baseball. I think that the sport from a developmental level in certain ways is in safe hands. Uh, I've known Liam Carroll since he was a teenager, who's now the manager, the, the gaffer for uh, the Great Britain national team. I know how much he cares about the sport. Same thing with Will Lintern, who is very involved with a uh, junior program. I've known him since he was a kid as well. Uh, I, I'm old now, so <laughs> they, they've all grown up. Uh, you know, They invest so much time and effort I think that there are uh, also very some people at the club level are great. Uh, Drew Spencer with the London Mets, which is an uh, adult team I started. Uh, the key always, and I say this anytime I do an interview about British baseball that people have to remember, is that you need to have a deep bench for any of these clubs. Is that what has, the history of British baseball has taught me is that what happens is you get one person who's incredibly enthusiastic about baseball, invests their heart, soul, sweat, and tears into starting a club that ends up becoming really great uh, and really well done. And then something happens in their lives. They get a job, they get married, they have kids, they move away and there's no one to fill that spot. And in a matter of a year or two, these great teams disappear. And so my hope is, is that for anyone who listens to this uh, in Britain, in any European country, because this is true throughout Europe, that you create enough depth within your club that if for some reason you are the person who is leading it and has to step away, that there are two or three people below you who are equally as enthused and equally as capable to keep it going. Yeah, it's really interesting. One of the appendices at the book, in the, at the end of the book is of uh, past um, winners of national championships and European championships. So it's really interesting to see just how many teams have gone by the wayside over the years. How many, you know, how many few real dynastic teams there are. Um, who've who've had a, a really really long legacy in their national championships, and that's obviously uh, symptomatic of what you've just explained a little bit there. All right, finishing off then, do you see yourself writing any more books about baseball in the future? You mentioned that you've written a few books already. I mean, is there anything else burning at the back of your mind that you, you're you're just aching to get down on paper? I, I sort of shifted gears a little more than a year ago. I work in the environmental advocacy space and work on sort of climate change issues, uh, which gets me very fired up right now. Uh, it's an issue that I care deeply about. So for the moment, I've sort of stepped away. Uh, I had I was very lucky to have some success with some of the other books I wrote. I wrote a, a book called The Secret History of Balls. Um, it's not a urology book. It's uh, about how sports and rec balls inform culture. And it was a uh, national public radio here in the US, best book of the year when it came out. And then I had another book about accidental discoveries and unexpected inspirations in the kitchen uh, called How the Hot Dog Found Its Bun which is also uh, sounds very double entendre, but uh, is not. Um, and that was a, it was a New York Times bestseller um, for, for a brief period. So I've had luck in, in writing on other subjects. I, I love baseball, um, but not immediately. That, that's the, I gave you a long way to a short answer. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, listen, uh, Josh, really nice for you to uh, give up some of your time to talk about your book. It's a great book. And um, yeah, thanks very much for coming on. on Cheers, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, we're back. Um, so Philip Vilfoy, it's a bit confusing for me because I've got Phil and <laughs> Philip. Um, but we'll go with... Um, Philip for Philip and Phil for Phil. I'll try and make sure that Phil is just Phil and Philip remains Philip. <laughs> and we'll start with you, Philip. How and when did you come to the book and what were your first impressions? Um, I read the first edition of the book, obviously. Uh, then I didn't know Josh yet. Uh, but uh, the second edition, uh, Josh sent me a PDF or an excerpt. So uh, and he was asking us to to promote it a little bit. So we, I got obviously I checked it out. And uh, as I'm in baseball or very much involved in European baseball, so I I knew a lot of stuff. Uh, especially in the beginning of the website, I used uh, the first edition as an 
like a research uh, tool just in case you need to to know some 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 things uh, which are going on in European baseball it's a very good tool also as a research not only as a entertainment purpose but also as a just to get a feel for everything so that were there was there lots of information in the in the book that you you didn't know about already in the beginning yes well since 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 2007 obviously i'm much more involved in european baseball i got to know much more people so for the second edition uh I knew a lot of stuff which were going on in there. Fantastic. How about you, Phil? What was your uh, what was your first exposure to the book, and and what were your first impressions? Uh, well, I, I've known Josh not personally, but uh, from his time on MLB on Five in the UK. Um, so I've known his of his existence for I don't know I don't know when he first started first started on MLB on Five, but maybe about twenty years ago. Um, and I've read a couple of his other books. Um, before, so you did one on uh, which you mentioned in, in your chat uh, about the history of sports balls, um, and he did a quirky one about the history of like food and drink products or food and drink brands and inventions and technology. Um, but I hadn't read this book uh, until a few weeks ago, uh, when uh, he kindly sent over a, a copy of the updated version. Um, I'd already downloaded the original version, like maybe about six months ago, and I started reading that one by accident. Uh, but then I slowly cottoned on to the fact that he'd updated it because the chapters were ending in like 2007. Um, so uh, I switched and, and, and read the updated version. And first impressions, it's an incredibly well-researched, thorough narrative history of baseball, I thought. It's very comprehensive, um, incredibly informative. Um it's it's like a book. Of, it's a, it's a book of books, is the way I describe it. Like he's he's clearly done a huge amount of research, and um, what has resulted is a really concise history of baseball in Europe with some quite interesting stories and quite fascinating, uh, some some quite funny stories, some quite kind of heartbreaking ones as well. Um, so yeah, that, those were my first impressions. Yeah, I have to concur. I thought the I thought the quality of research was was absolutely fantastic. Mm. It's, it's delivered in a really accessible way, but it's you can tell that it's it's very very thorough, very comprehensive. Um, we, we bumped into Josh, didn't we, at the, uh, did, yeah. the MLB London series um, uh, over the over the weekend of, of the games, and uh, and he mentioned the book to us. And we we when we when we spoke initially about him coming on the podcast. It was to promote the book when it was it was released in uh, September, or I think beginning of October, when mm. we decided we were going to take a break. So we've left it until now. But yeah, I was really impressed with the book. I have to say, I I really really enjoyed it. I, I liked how there was a, a balance of um, him having obviously done lots of research um, using primary uh, sources, but also because he's quite um, he's he's had quite a lot of exposure into European baseball, mm. having played in Europe quite a lot. So he he had his own contacts that he was obviously able to rely upon. So it was really nicely balanced, I thought, and it it it, it wasn't it wasn't too academic, it wasn't too dry, um, it was accessible, uh, but it was incredibly comprehensive. So I have to say, I was really impressed um, with that. I, I mean, I'm ge I'm guessing that this is going to be slightly obvious, but how much European baseball? Uh, do you watch Philip and and how much did you already know about the history of European baseball before you came to the book? Well, before the first edition of the book, I didn't know much about European baseball. I knew a little bit about German baseball, but not that much because I just, I was more into MLB before that. And I, with Mr. Baseball, it started with European baseball. And so, but uh, so, I'm watching a lot since 2007. I'm watching a lot of uh, European baseball, not only in Germany, but also uh, when I'm being able to travel around Europe to watch some uh, European tournaments, uh, also in the capacity of my my day-to-day -day job. Uh, so that's uh, so I have seen a lot of uh, European baseball, but obviously not not in all the the countries 
And did it did it enhance your understanding of German baseball? Did it did you were, there, were you surprised by anything in the book that taught you about German baseball? Well, uh, yes, yes, especially from uh, from the beginning of uh, of German baseball because that's something which is in Germany baseball started right after the Second World War. Uh, it kind of uh, was uh, American and German and sport by the Americans in Germany. Uh, they built a lot of fields and they they started playing also with German uh, people and it grew a little bit. But then it was like on a flat line and then it's kind of restarted in the in the 1980s and then it's really got. I mean, it's not it's not a popular sport in Germany. No, no way about it. But it's getting uh, a more uh, better standing uh, also in the in the quality of the game. So, and that timeline, or that how everything uh, was working out, that was something I, I learned about in the book. And how about you, Phil? Did um, what what did you already know about European baseball before coming to the book? Next to nothing. Um, my experience of European baseball was basically a trip to Brighton in the early 2000s when I went to like a UK finals tournament, less because I was interested in British baseball, but more in the hope that I would get to meet Jonathan Gould and Eric Jansen of <laughs> LP on five. Um, but I took the train down to Brighton and I remember getting in a taxi and I was like, take me to the baseball. And the taxi driver was like, what? the hell are you talking about and then i had to explain I had to like get up get up a map or like it must have been the time before mobile phones but try and explain to him that it was apparently in this field that was used that was next to a rugby club and eventually we found it um so yeah i knew next to little i knew a little bit about the history of the game in the uk like maybe some snippets um like the guy who invented the box score was english um, and actually what I found quite refreshing about the book is that it didn't get bogged down into the debate about as to who invented baseball, uh, which I, I found quite refreshing because, um, you know, I found it quite, quite boring topic to, to be honest, like who, who invented a game makes, uh, no difference to me really whatsoever in terms of how much I enjoy a sport or not. Um, so I, I was, I was quite relieved to see that that, that didn't take a big part of the book. But some of the origin stories of baseball were particularly interesting, I thought. Um, uh, like Philip's already said about about uh, the origins of baseball in Germany, I, I assumed that most baseball in Europe, in fact, that all baseball in Europe had, had been exported from the States in the post-war period. I just assumed that it was this part of this American post-war um, democratization or a kind of um, cultural... I don't want to say imperialism, it makes it sound sinister, but, but you know, bringing over American values um, with, with the sport of baseball. But actually, most European countries had origin stories that went back well before the, the Second World War. Um, I'm thinking about the Netherlands in particular, uh, France. Obviously, uh, the UK had a thriving baseball scene mm. uh, well before the Second World War. So I was, there were, I was genuinely surprised and informed by the book. Um, it kind of... Um, it it, it 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 completely um, uh, enlightened me as to as the origins of uh, European baseball, and I thought that's to its credit. Um, uh, of talking of those countries' baseball origin stories, are there any that particularly you found compelling? I've already mentioned Holland and France. What what about you, uh, Philip? Did did you you've already mentioned being slightly surprised by Germany, but was was there were there any countries that you found particularly interesting? Oh, I find. I think it, all the countries there, from country to country, they're pretty interesting how they got into the game. Or, for, for example, Czech Republic, that there are a lot of uh, players which are left-handed batters because of the of the popularity of uh, hockey, ice hockey, and uh, it's it's really interesting that from country to country, it's really different different how the game developed there and how they got how they got uh, involved with baseball so how about you phil 
Uh, yeah, Netherlands, I thought was quite interesting. Uh, Greece, I thought, offered like a, a really good kind of microcosm of many uh, countries' experiences of baseball in that there were kind of two strands to try and grow the game at a local level, um, but then also aggressively pursue success on an international level. Um, so Greece is, is one of a, it's, it, it's, I don't know if Greece is, I don't think Greece is even a chapter on its own, but it's kind of mentioned with like the rest of Europe. Um, but it was quite interesting that when the, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee award, awarded the game to Athens in 97, um, I think it was the owner of the Baltimore Orioles at the time, who was like Greek American. He yes. quite aggressively pursued um, the idea of building a really competitive team by finding players with only tangential links um, with with Greece, like American American players, um, and it didn't really lead to much success because I think they went one and six in the Olympics, um, and eventually the National Baseball Federation there was disbanded and the Olympic field was sold off to developers. Um, so yeah, I, I I thought Greece offered offered a really good kind of cons- concise example, perhaps of a lot of uh, the experiences of a lot of countries when their 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 experiences with baseball. I found that the the whole the the chapter on the Netherlands was really compelling for me. Mm. I had I had, uh, I had no idea it, was, it had been such a big thing uh, in the early twentieth century and through through to the middle of the twentieth century, and that that it was supported by. Uh, by big football clubs, big soccer clubs as well. And yeah. to, to learn about Johan Cruyff uh, being a uh, such a competent baseball player and uh, and having to make a decision between baseball and, and football uh, in his in his youth and and then even retaining his interest in baseball so much that he was present at European Championship events and and he was particularly interested in in the sport. I, th- I thought that was really really interesting. And the Greece thing that you mentioned kind of kind of underpins a thread that goes throughout the whole book, doesn't it? In in the sense that countries are able to make quite a startling amount of progress in a short amount of time if they have the right amount of investment and the right amount of uh, support and uh, and push from individuals or from organisations. Because you mentioned that they didn't do that well in the Olympics, but the journey that uh, Greece went on in such a short amount of time mm. was, actually, was actually quite impressive. Um, it kind of leads me on to my next question, really. Uh, it's, it's linked with money and it's linked with, with, with promotion and it's linked with, with enterprise, I suppose. But in your opinion, what's the health of European baseball right now uh, relative perhaps to in the past? I've already talked about how in some countries they had quite a thriving baseball scene in the past. Where do we think European baseball is at the moment? What, I'll start with you again, Philip. What do you think? Well, uh, we have to uh, use two or three different perspectives for this. Uh, from uh, from a state of uh, quantity of players, uh, it's basically probably on a the development is probably on a straight line. There are differences uh, between the countries. There in France, uh, the number of memberships is increasing the last couple of years because the federation is doing a much better job than uh, in the past. Uh, in Germany, for example, we had a, a big increase uh, until uh, 2005 and then we had a decrease because uh, baseball was dropped from the Olympic program. And uh, right now we have we have been able to stabilize it on a, on a good basis. Uh, then uh, it's, there's a, it's a general uh, problem for all sports which are not soccer to, to, find, uh, to find members uh, and players and uh, to get people involved with the sports uh, because uh, the, the society has, has changed a little bit in the, in the past years. Uh, so that's, that's one thing which is always an... Uh, uh, a challenge for for all the federation base uh, uh, on the second state uh, baseball has uh, very much improved in the the quality of the top players uh, when you look at the at the top not not the the, quality, the quantity but the top players 
Uh, when you look at national teams, uh, the level of play has increased tremendously in the in the last uh, few years. We have a couple of European uh, players which are able to sign minor league contracts with MLB organizations. We have even a couple of guys like Max Kepler, Alex Litty, which uh, made the jump from uh, Europe to uh, to the big leagues and be, being their impact players. Um, so the the level of play itself has increased in the last, I mean, tremendously in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, it's, it's a big, big jump. We are not uh, European baseball is nowhere to be near uh, the Americas or uh, Asian, Asian countries, but, but the gap is, is closing a little bit. What Philip, I'll, I'll stick with you because I, I feel like you're the uh, I feel like you're the authority on this more than Phil. No offense, Phil. Um, <laughs> not, not taken. <laughs> but what, what what do you think can be? I spoke to Josh a little bit about this when we had our chat anyway. But what do you think can be done to improve uh, the, the standard of baseball in Europe? And it's particularly interesting to hear from you because you're someone who works for a European baseball organization. Well, for one, it's uh, facilities. You have to improve uh, facilities. You have to improve coaching. You have to have more coaches. You have to more uh, people who who work in baseball on a full time basis. And uh, to but to increase the number of players in Europe, it's it's essential that baseball is, is visible to to the people and not only to the baseball communities like MLB. TV is it's a great way to to stay with baseball, but only for the baseball people. But to get it uh, to the baseball people or to the non-baseball people, you need to have baseball in schools. You have to have baseball on TV. You have to be more visible, and that's that's a big challenge for for all the federations because it's either way you have a. You, have a, you get lucky with a London series and you get the chance to have MLB sponsoring uh, school patch packages and everything. Uh, or you have to pay a lot of money to get to get into the schools. The same is for, for TV coverage. To have it on a, on, a, a way, on a free TV or if on a cable TV station in, in Europe, uh, it, would be, it would be a great help. But... Uh, uh, either TV stations are not interested to showing it even for free because they are not don't know how uh, how to market or don't know if they if they make money with it. So it's difficult. How um, how 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 well known is? Uh, I think I know the answer to this question already. But how well known is Max Kepler in Germany? Is are people aware of him at all? There. There, he is not. He is not like, like Dirk Nowitzki in basketball. But he, the people are aware of him that he is playing uh, in the big leagues. Uh, there, even major major TV stations are reporting about him uh, from time to time, not on a regular basis. Uh, but uh, when he's doing uh, some good, he, he gets some news coverage. He gets some features. So he is. People know him, especially people in sports or people involved with sports. They know him, uh, so uh, he he is visible in Germany. And would it? Do you think? I mean, it's maybe a simple question, but do you think it would it would have a major impact on baseball in Germany if you were to have more uh, successful Germans in um, at the top level of the sport in America? It helps. It helps, but it's not like. Uh, it's not the only only thing uh, to increase. Also, it doesn't. I don't know how to uh, to explain, but it's not enough to have just the players in the big leagues. But you have to uh, to have to have the interest uh, from uh, from media outlets to to report about them. And uh, if there are more than one, and if they're they need to also be good. At the level, if they're a reliever, a reliever who is doing some mob-up duty, it's not not as interesting. That's that's why Max Kepler is doing just a wonderful job right now because he's hitting home runs, he's playing good defense, he's he's uh, one of the main uh, main players of uh, of the Twins. So that helps. So. 
Yeah. Phil, what do you think would happen if we had a if we had a big um, British-born success story in the MLB? That's a really good question. Um, I'm trying to think of sports journalists in the UK who would cover it. I mean, the Athletic would, I'm sure, cover it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think I, th- I completely agree with what Philip was saying. That unless the unless the sport baseball is on ESPN at the moment, um, but unless it's on free to air, then I'm not sure how the game can grow significantly in the UK. I mean, the the London series will help. Um, but yeah, no, it's a it's a really good question. What are your thoughts? I think if it was, I think it would be massive. I think it, I, I really? think it had the potential to be massive. Yeah, and not necessarily transformative, but I think when, from from talking to uh, from talking to Philip now and and from talking to Josh, you know, the, the big thing seems to be about having the quality of coaching and the quality of organisation in, in terms of facilities and in terms mm. of funding. And one thing I noticed. Um, made a big impact when the Yankees and um, the Red Sox came over to London last summer. And it's a, one of the reasons that it's a massive shame that the series has been cancelled uh, for this summer is that when the Yankees came over, they came over to Finsbury Park, which is a, a local uh, local inner city park in North London, uh, very near to where I grew up. And uh, they they came and, and put on a session with the, with the London Mets organisation. They, mm. they had a big truck full of gear and... and um, and it and it was it was fantastic and and if if that kind of thing could continue um it just in terms of having uh just by raising the exposure a little bit and having some that kind of promotional activity and then it was capped off by having a real success story someone who the press could pin their hopes on someone who the press could use as the centerpiece for their mm. exposure over here i think it would increase the number of people playing and that on in turn would have an num- effect on the number of people um coaching and then it just becomes a cyclical effect you know success breeds success and obviously we use this mantra all the time don't when we're talking about baseball about if you build it it will come but i think it i think it i think it could have a transformative effect in um, in british baseball but in combination with other things like so you we get a really big player and there's investments at a grassroots level and there's some franchises that support the growth of the game absolutely Um, yeah it'd be a snow a snowball effect wouldn't it you know Mm the ball uh, starts rolling um it could have a big impact because there are tables that the book has some really interesting tables at the back so like the appendix section is brilliant like nothing i've seen since like david foster wallace and infinite jest um, but it has some really interesting tables about about like participation um in sports by country in europe and i'd be really interested to see the figures uh for great britain maybe not this year um given what's going on in the world but uh perhaps next year to see whether or not we can start seeing evidence of the London series and some, some a bit, some some more activity from MLB in the UK and 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 measure measure the impact. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the, that's one of the, the the I I thought the appendices in the book were fantastic, but I did think two things struck me from looking at the appendices. One was that perhaps more with a with a focus on British baseball than the rest of Europe. It was a shame that there's not really any. British baseball team that has been consistently at the top of the sport for a number of years. There seems to be um, periods where teams come in and out of fashion and teams are successful and then they fall away. And that's to do with not being able to maintain uh, an mm. interest in baseball um, in these, in you know, for long periods of time, which I thought was a bit of a shame. And then the other thing that I noticed that was quite interesting is that, as Philip was alluding to earlier, in a number of European countries where we consider baseball to be at its at its best in Europe, for like Germany, the Netherlands, um, and Italy, the numbers have been good in the past, but they seem to have plateaued. They seem to have stopped growth, and that seems to mm. be a, a real worry. And I do wonder how much the the lack of um, involvement of baseball in in, uh, in the Olympic Games has had an impact on it, because it did kind of happen around the time that baseball was uh, was uh, demoted from being an Olympic sport. Hopefully with the Olympics in Tokyo uh, and baseball being involved again, that was perhaps something that would benefit. But again, we've had a, a spanner in the works with, uh, with, with the coronavirus and obviously the Olympic games now being postponed. So it's, it's, it's a shame. It, it felt like things were starting to, we were starting to make progress with yeah. baseball in Europe and things were starting to improve. And now it seems like everything's, uh, you know, falling to a halt. Is that, is that the impression that you have, Philip? Well, 
I mean, with the with the virus, we don't know how it will impact uh, European sports or European baseball in particular, uh, because that's uh, such a dynamic uh, situation. Uh, I mean, we were in uh, Arizona for the World Baseball Classic qualifier to start uh, in two days, and then uh, from uh, within twelve hours, we were basically on the way back to Germany, and then. Uh, one week later, everything was closed down and uh, everything has been postponed and we don't know when we are able to restart uh, any sports activities, uh, less uh, even a league. Uh, so it's a difficult situation, but it's something which uh, we cannot control and we have to wait, uh, wait it out and then we have to get back at it. Yeah, it's a real shame. Did you, I'm mm. going to probably finish off with my last question. It, it's, it's a shame that we've, we, it, we've had a really good discussion and now we're talking about coronavirus. So I just want to... It was I, inevitable when we're talking about I the health feel, of European baseball. That, that I that feel like, yeah, I just feel like it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's so pervasive. It's such a shame. Yeah. I mean, reading it for me, I mean, I'll, I'll answer the question myself before I ask it to you two. But for me personally, reading the book has made me massively more interested in European baseball. It's something that... Um, I'm much more likely to go and um, take an interest in, in the future. Like I've I've watched quite a lot of uh, baseball in London. I go down. To, I've been down to Finsbury Park a number of times over the years. I used to live. I think I mentioned I used to live um, overlooking the park. So I've, I've I've been lucky to be able to to see the Mets play quite a lot. But I haven't ventured out outside of London to watch baseball in the UK. And it's something I'll definitely be looking to do in the future. And I'll 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 be hoping to go and. Um, see some European baseball as well at some stage in the future. So I, just from having read the book and, and understanding a little bit more about the origin stories of different countries in Europe, I would say I'm massively more likely to go in and uh, consume or um, watch European baseball. H how does that, I mean, how does that uh, compare to you? I'll start with you, Phil, actually. What what do you think? Are you more or less likely to, to be interested in European baseball on the back of the book? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um yeah, when I, when I get a chance to watch some baseball, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Um, and going back to something you said at the very beginning, actually, that in the book, the way Josh weaves personal stories into the, the, the narrative was quite interesting. So, for example, the thing that I think if I can get to watch some would be the differences and the nuances between uh, how... Uh, one country plays baseball versus what I see on um, MLB TV and not, not in terms of standards, but more in terms of the kind of the tactical play. And that's the kind of thing that I think is quite interesting. Like in, in the chapter that he writes on Sweden, when said that um, he finds in his experience, Swedes play with a, a, a lagom approach, which means uh, like in moderation, like a suitable approach to baseball. And I'm like, okay, well, I look forward to kind of trying to work out how that's going to manifest itself versus uh, the more frenetic style of Italian play or um, against what I see in the US or, 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 or Japan. So, yeah, it's kind of those differences between uh, how countries approach baseball and the tactics and the culture and the kind of methodology, I think would be quite interesting. And how about you, Philip? I mean, it's, you're already someone who works in baseball, so it seems like a strange question, but did perhaps perhaps it's more appropriate to ask you about the first edition of the book when the first edition came out. Did it, did it in increase your interest in European baseball from having read the book? Definitely. Uh, uh, the book is, is a, great, a great way to motivate people uh, to look more into European baseball, to, to widen the horizon. If you're only interested into, into your own country, it's, it helps. So when you read the book to get more interested also in other countries, in other countries. And so it definitely, it's a, it's a great way to, to promote uh, baseball in Europe, even though not all the stories are talking about the glory days of European baseball, but also, uh, but, uh, everything uh, works together so it's uh, it's a great way to to motivate people great that's a, and then i think on that note it's a really nice way to finish because then we're talking about how fantastic the book is rather than talking about how terrible the coronavirus has been <laughs> european baseball so we'll stop there <laughs> okay well um philip do you want to tell everybody where you can be reached perhaps on social media or um, i mean you've already mentioned mr baseball maybe give it a bit more of a plug 
Well, European Mr. Baseball is a, is a news site which talks uh, mainly about uh, baseball in Europe, but also we are taking a look at international baseball. Uh, so you can find Mr. Baseball on, on Facebook and uh, there you can uh, also find me if you need to get in contact with me. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Philip. It was um, really good of you to come on and, and to talk about the book and good luck with the future. Good luck with everything. I hope everything goes well, well with German baseball and with mrbaseball.com. And um, thanks Phil for coming on as well. And it's, it's been really nice to, it's been a bit strange personally because we haven't done this for six months, but it's been really nice having a, a talk. It's, it feels like I'm dusting off some cobwebs and, um, <laughs> Yeah, getting getting used to things again, but it's been nice talking to everybody. So thanks very much for joining me. Thanks. thanks.